Welcome to the Together for Change podcast series. I'm your host, Marvin O'Callaghan. Following the untimely death of George Floyd in 2020, I've taken on the role of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer for the Halifax Wanderers. As of 2021, we've started the podcast as a means of continuing the conversation in a safe space. My aim is that by having these tough and sometimes awkward conversations, that we can begin to break down barriers and strengthen a culture of diversity and inclusion. Today, we'll begin our podcast with a land acknowledgement. This is something that will always be done moving forward out of respect for the original inhabitants of this land. I would like to acknowledge that the land on which the Wanderers Grounds and Office is located on is the unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people. Today, I'm joined by Brady Paul. Brady is from Sedan Sisk in New Brunswick, and he is Wolastukwe'ik, which means people of the beautiful river. Brady was a former student athlete at St. Mary's University, where he graduated with a Bachelor of Arts with a major in history, which was focused on Indigenous history. With a combination of personal experiences along with his studies, Brady has instilled a dedication for Indigenous wellness, advocacy, and preservation. Early in Brady's professional career at the University of New Brunswick, Mima Wolastukwe'ik Center, he was able to gain experience that reinforced his passion for traditional healing methods, ideologies, and preservation of culture and language as a Wolastukwe'ik language application developer and as a traditional wellness project researcher. Welcome, Brady. Thank you for having me, Marvin. You've done that beautifully. Thank you. Thank you. And it's, <laughs> phonetics is, a, is an interesting thing. And, you know, the, by the third time saying it, it was actually pretty smooth. <laughs> yeah. And that just goes to show, uh, you know, when uh, if I can just make a quick uh, little story here, because yeah. um, when I was younger, the way I was taught my language was a very Eurocentric way, you know, on a blackboard written out. And as you can see, reading it in its form, that's a hard language to sound out. Um, because it's that's the one thing I've always um, you know advocated against especially when the Green Party in New Brunswick tried to pass legislation to make Indigenous languages mandatory to top being all schools I said first and foremost you are not honoring the two po two Indigenous populations it's Mi'kmaq and Wolastukwe'ik and the fact that you don't know that means you should keep your hands off our language and the mm -hmm. fact that you don't have the resources or you know how to teach it because it's a verbal language yeah. Um, you know, it's a, you know, everything in our language has life and meaning. And so there's no inanimate inanimate objects and it's a very commanding language. And so we, there'll be little short words that mean phrases and, you know, we're consistently having to create words to uh, go along with the time. And it's, well, uh, I mean, as somebody who really values just, you know, the language, you know, I've, I, <laughs> I was born in, in Kenya and speaking Arabic and, and Swahili and moved to Fredericton where, you know, French and English were really popular. And, and now, you know, I'm trying to even get to a point where I learned Portuguese and Spanish. So, you know, languages, are a big part of our identity and who we are. So I really want, you know, want to make sure that I'm pronouncing things right, you know, so I appreciate your help and making sure that I uh, said things phonetically correct because I wouldn't want to disrespect, uh, disrespect your language. And if you can figure out some uh, indigenous languages, it makes learning other languages probably easier too. Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to start off by just asking, Brady, you know, you're on the Wanderers Diversity Committee with uh, with my Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Committee with myself. You know, why did you decide that that was something that was important for you to join? Well, when I was proposed to join in the a Zoom call with you about, you know, what was going on uh, around the Mi'kmaq fishery, um, 
I was incredibly honored to do so, but I just known that there's at the time there wasn't a lot of indigenous voices being heard. And also I saw it as a wonderful opportunity to work with a lot of great motivated and passionate people that I can learn from as well and to network and to immerse myself into this field because, you know, I'm, I was never comfortable being in groups or committees. And so um, it was a, I had to start pushing myself because if I were to work with students or someone else and I tell them to try new things, um, it'd be very hypocritical for me not to do it myself. And so I decided to do that and take more things on and put more pressure on myself to put, make myself better and improve. And also um, I believe um, I love sports organizations and I saw as a wonderful opportunity as you've seen, as we've had these discussions that uh, yeah. through sports can make an impact on anyone's life, regardless of heritage, gender, or orientation. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do and work with you closely is to, you know, start holding, hosting camps in First Nation communities, having positive role models for these youth, especially in sport, and, uh, you know, increased participation in Wanderers events within the city. And that can only evolve over time when you have the increase in athletes, they can start doing th amazing things at the community level, traveling to different communities, playing soccer against different communities. And, you know, I'm always going to be a passionate and advocate about sports because sports saved my life and it changed the trajectory of my life. And so I wanted to be able to be with an organization that had the means and resources to assist First Nation communities, which are some are underfunded in athletics and recreation to so to help them. And then to, you know, also amplify Indigenous issues. And, you know, the Wanderers have a, an amazing following and amazing fans. But, you know, I, I think everyone deserves the opportunity to learn more education and learn more about these issues because, you know, the media, for some reason or another, for a long time, didn't want to talk about our issues. Um, a lot of our issues were covered up. They're erased from history. And, Metaphorically and, now, and, and literally. Exactly. And so I always, whenever I have an opportunity to speak about our history, and when I say our history, I'm not saying we'll just wear Mi'kmaq, you know, as Indigenous people across Turtle Island, we are one. And we all feel the same pain when, when one community hurts or one person hurts, we all suffer and hurt. And before, before I, I, I do want to really get into that, you know, because it's, it's especially right now, very topical, you know, yeah. but you said something about, you know, the sport saved your life. And that's something I've, I haven't heard from you before. So, you know, is that something you want to elaborate on just a little bit? Of course. You know, I come from, I lived my entire life in my First Nation community and I was surrounded by a lot of negative things. So substance abuse, you know, mental health issues were present in my upbringing. I've always seen them and I've seen the negative effects, but I had two significant role models in my life at that time. And one was, uh, Josh Jacoby, who went on to play football at the University of Ottawa, mm -hmm. um, and he ended up being, when he finished school there, was the CIS's all-time leader in passing yards, and he was close to breaking the touchdown record as well. Um, and I think he's one of the best CIS players to ever put on a helmet and play at that level. And he came from my community. He babysat me. And so I kind of seen where what sports can take me. And also my stepfather, who is non-Indigenous, was a professional hockey player. And he knew the importance of sports. And so he was like, you know, if you want to do this, I'll support you 100%. And it, I saw it as a perfect opportunity to go outside of my community, grow as an individual, even though it was going to be incredibly difficult. And it was, mm. um, I struggled with it. And you know what? 
Um, it made me the better because I had to break myself and I had to force myself to be uncomfortable and to learn. Well, of course, anything that's worth it is, you know, anything that's difficult usually means it's worth it. You know what exactly. I mean? And so like, I just know too much, like we don't have enough people in our communities um, to be those role models in sport and to, you know, help people to, you know, give them advice on training or how to become, you know, an elite athlete. And that all stems from, you know, picking your own sacrifices. And it took me years to figure that out. And, but now I have such a great foundational base, which is based upon, you know, my routine as an athlete and as a student athlete. And I'm only trying to improve that because, you know, I'm going to be, you know, doing a lot of things moving forward. These next two years are going to be incredibly busy for me. Mm -hmm. um, I work with a slew of regional, local and national organizations. And I'm just looking forward to that challenge because if I can, what I learned through training, especially for athletics, if I can push my body beyond its limits, I can apply that same plan and I can do so, you know, academically and push my mind beyond its limits. And then, you know, what that will do ultimately is my goal is to push my spirituality to its absolute limit and to be, to receive a lot of gifts that are out there, but I just know I'm not ready to receive a lot of these lifts, gifts, like I'm conducting ceremonies mm -hmm. and holding up songs because I just know I'm not ready to do that, but I know at a point I will be. I'm patient with it and I'm looking forward to this journey because um, Amelda Purley, who was the elder in residence at the University of New Brunswick Mi'kmaq West Quay Center said, um, you know, as Indigenous people, we can't stop learning because we need to set the standard and we, we need to continue to pass on this information because everyone has gifts. Everyone has a passion and the best version. You'll know what it is when, you know, it will man your, your perfect you're the best image of yourself will manifest itself when you see something you're passionate about and you need to be able to have the ability to identify those and a lot of people youth don't because they sell, set themselves up for failure or they sell themselves short or they're crippled by fear because you know the federal government put us on just little strips of land and that's where we our world is and as soon as you step out of there it's a whole nother world that is a real thing because there's a there's that invisible barrier and i you know, I crossed it many times and it's a huge shift in how you conduct yourself in public and how you would normally act at home or in community. You act differently outside because you're scared to be judged or biased or discriminated against. And that's not the way it should be in this country. And, it's, and then this has been going on for hundreds of years and which is what people largely don't understand. And so to starting to because of the events that are happening right now, you know, exactly. from Kamloops and now across the country. When that first came out, I, I was not surprised because I studied this. Mm. And I also studied the effects of colonialism in South Africa, within Africa and the Congo, and in Australia, mm. and what they did when the, when the British didn't get their way to Chinese ports. What did they do? They got them addicted to opium mm. and came in, set up shops and left. You know, the shadow of colonialism engulfed this world. And we're still trying to look what disarray India is in. And so these are, those are the effects. And you know what? I think it's time for the, the royal family to hold some accountability on that because that vast wealth they have was built upon the killings of children, women, the destructions of communities. And I'd like to know how much stolen artifacts and traditional art across the world is stored in the Vatican, in Buckingham Palace, or mm -hmm. in just in matriarchs across Europe. 
Well, even more locally, honestly, you know, because I, 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 I agree wholeheartedly with what you just said, but, you know, looking even more locally from Canada and, and Nova Scotia, what do you think that needs to be done by, by Nova Scotia and by Canada? Well, first and foremost, you can't have non-Indigenous people speak on Indigenous issues and affairs. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the structure, you know, in each province and federally, um, they're non-Indigenous people speaking on be- our behalf because, you know, if there was an Indigenous person that was in Indigenous crime relations or the Minister of Indigenous Affairs, they wouldn't be dragging these survivors through the court system, fighting them tooth and nail about their accounts when the mm-hmm. evidence is there. It's, govern- it's public knowledge now. You can't erase, they try to erase those documents, the old Indian Affairs documents. And so for me, I always refer to that department as Indian Affairs because that's, it's what it is. They try Why? To, Why do you think it's a, that wording? Until we get an Indigenous people working in there, well, I'm, I'm, I'm holding, that's what I call the office because it's a, it's a primarily Eurocentric office. So you're, to you, it acknowledges the fact that it's still backwards, thinking yeah. it's not it's not forward thinking, it's not they Indigenous can, because there isn't any, you know, <laughs> present like, representation. That's the same thing. I'm going to use Nova Scotia as a reference. They call it the Office of Alien Affairs. I was like, you can change the name all you want. At the end of the day, the two heads of that department are non-Indigenous. So mm-hmm. don't use our language and try to fool us. We're not uneducated anymore. We're not uncivilized. We're, we have we have doctors, we have lawyers, we have educators, we have PhDs. So you can't play that game anymore. And if you want to play that game, I was like, I'll meet you in the boardroom. I'll meet you in parliament or I'll meet you in city hall. That's where you can't hide anymore Mm -hmm. because now we can have access to those rooms. And that's why I'm continuing my education further and further, because I'm not going to have these Eurocentric ideas of credentials be a barrier for me. And I have the capacity to, and I have the passion to, because, you know, I want to motivate much more Indigenous youth, especially with my role with the NSCC. I believe education is the key because in Nova Scotia and across Canada, the Indigenous youth, Indigenous youth population is the fastest growing population. And the more of those youth we get educated and through a proper education system that first and foremost empowers Indigenous learning and Indigenous concepts, that they can see themselves in that system, then we can have a new wave of professionals that can be across all sectors. Because I work with some students that want to be in conservation. They want to be in the medical system. They want to be in education. They want to be in social services. And we need them to be strong and protected where when they go into those departments, that there's things in place that they're not going to be discriminated against. Their voice is heard because you know what? The lived experience is far greater than any academic experience that anyone could have. And if you, I, I, because I actually got into an argument with someone who was doing their PhD and they're non-Indigenous, but they go, I want to do my PhD in like Indigenous mental health. And I was like, why would you? What, gives you, what gives you the right to do that? Just so you can find a nice thesis and elevate yourself. What, what are you going to do with that work? Are you going to work? How, how can you speak on the lived trauma and lived experience? Yeah, it's, 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 it's counterproductive. Because you're just looking at data. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. And for myself, in my example, I'm going back to St. Mary's University to do my master's in Atlantic Canadian Studies. Because why? Because this region is incredibly important to me. Because not because my, this is my traditional land or my relationship with Mi'kmaq people. 
from a historical context, this region was, was uh, brought together in the early 1800s, 1700s of time, and we formed the Wabanaki Confederacy. And with that Confederacy, we were able to assist the British in fighting off the Americans. We were able to assist them in living here and show them how to live. And what was our repayment for defending them or helping them fight alongside them? You know, we got our we got our culture ripped away. We got our land taken away. Yeah, because one of the things I remember learning about in high school here in junior high was how, you know, the, the indigenous population helped, um, you know, the Brits when they first arrived here, when they started getting scurvy and they didn't have any medicine for it, you know. The and winter. The, the winter, like all sorts of situations. And I wish we learned in more depth of the indigenous side that, it, the, you know, for like you just explained, almost the Indian side of it, because that's what they were called at the time. Yeah. Because it just goes to show how wrong, you know, Columbus was. He, he, he was so misinformed that he thought he was in India, a place where he'd never been. And he's like, oh, like, why wouldn't he bring someone like, no, nope, this is not India. This is a, the new world. Mm-hmm. And we had a system of co-inhabitants with other indigenous groups. Because out of respect, that's one of the seven sacred teachings is respect. You respect someone at their face value and you honor them and their choices. And you so, don't try to change people. So question for you, um, yeah. you know, because there, there are times where it's obviously very wrong and disrespectful to say Indian, you know, and there are times where, you know, like you've given me a couple examples today where, you know, like it, it's relevant. When, when should you 100% not use the word Indian? Um, an indigenous person, a non-indigenous person should never use that term. Okay, and so I, I apologize. It's fine, but you're using in the context where you're trying to, you're asking a question. And that's mm-hmm. fine. You're coming up a place of understanding. But if you're like, those Indians over there, it's like, no. No, 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 no. Okay. Because like, I did a little experiment myself, you know, and I did it with a, a friend of mine. And I was like, okay, like today, I'm going to call you based on prejudiced white people stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to see how you feel. And then it was like later on how were those words hurt because you know i was calling them a hillbilly a redneck a honky you know pale face and they're like that the words really cut deep and i was like now you see like, even though a lot of those words don't have a history behind them and they're not even relevant like this person is not a hillbilly they grew up in a metro area mm. and they're like i take offense to that i was like well now you see how it feels when you loop all indigenous people together and you don't learn you know, these are Mi'kmaq people. Then there's the Métis people who are their own distinct culture and the Inuit. They deserve respect. They deserve acknowledgement and they deserve the right to be called whatever they want and not to be and like, I don't like it when it's indigenous affairs because you know what? That word just is a very, you know, we need to come with a term because we're, we're indigenous to this land. Yes, but you know, I'm a holistic way. There's the Ojibwe, the Mohawk, the Cree. And so there needs to be more education regionally on the history of the people within there. And you got to look at it from a whole, the spectrum from how, why the government created those policies. It is malicious intent because they called us, you know, the Indian problem, or we were the white man's burden because we were seen unfit to conduct ourselves in civil society. But because if you look what happened in colonialism in Africa, they try to change how tribes farmed with Eurocentric views. I was like, you don't know the land. This land was never meant to be mass farmed and mass produced. 
We lived, we took what we needed and we cultivated certain aspects. Like if you cut sweetgrass a certain way, you don't cut it too deep in the root. So it does Because if you do, it ruins it, it doesn't yeah. grow back. Yeah. So how to harvest things in a safe manner, how to only take what you need to feed your community or family and to preserve it for the next generations because the concept of land ownership is a very is a European concept. How can you own something like land or water or trees or animals that are put here by the creator or whoever? You know, I don't put bias on anyone's belief, but I use the creator. That's my belief. Yeah. He put us here because these are gifts. And, you know, I always say I left the spirit world to come and enjoy the gift of life. And right now it is a gift and it's a gift to taste this, these foods, to smell them, to see them, to hear the birds, to drink the water, to live. Those are gifts. And then we're only here for a short time to experience them. And then, you know what? We return back to mother earth, our original birth. And you know, we were birth, we were birthed by women. We go back to mother earth our our second mother. Then we get to return to the spirit world with our ancestors. And if I'm privileged enough to come back in the spirit, this world again, I'd be fortunate, but we only get one trip and we only get to experience this once. That's very interesting, you know, and, and even in terms of that, we had a conversation about, you know, Nestle trying to privatize air. <laughs> who, who gives them that right? And you know what? That's the issue I have with government. And that's a whole nother thing about economics and policy, like having a fiat currency with nothing. There's no value behind our dollar. And like, like, that's why, like, you know, I keep my, you know, I don't trust banks. I keep my money in the walls. Um, you know, hard, hard currency. So just a lot of gold bars sitting around my house. So, um, you know, I just don't, and plus I try to, you know, I just don't like the government dipping in my pocket because the, the funny thing is I work outside a community and I'm taxed, but, but I'm in a role that's meant to break down these barriers that the government created. So not on, not only are indigenous people correcting the government's mistakes, but they're taxing us for doing the work they should be they should doing. Be doing. Mm-hmm. And also I'm not, I'm not reflected in that system. So I believe in no tax taxation without representation. And there's a funny, there's also another component to that where in Ontario, indigenous people can use their status card freely in the province. So at McDonald's, you can get tax exempt off your meal or any purchase you make in store, but in any other province, you have to get it delivered. There's a process and people don't know. They're like, I didn't know I could do that. And that's why the government has it that way because it deters us from using our treaty rights. Because mm-hmm. you can say this is unceded land. I'm like, okay, perfect. Then you can't tax me. And then they go, oh, well, what? I'm like, well, which is it? Because now you just caught a politician using words and words are there. In my mind, um, politicians only half their words are lies and the other half is BS. That's why I look for affirmative action and what is your plan? And if you don't, don't tax me until you bring me a plan. And unless you start, if I start seeing myself in the government, um, I'll pay taxes. I'll pay my salary. I'll pay a portion of my salary to ensure I'm represented in that government. Because, you know, if you look at the structure of Nova Scotia government, there, you know, you have an African Nova Scotian person in the seat of African Nova Scotian affairs. I was actually going to make that point earlier when you said it. And, but... Can you imagine the outcry if that was a non, non-African Nova Scotia person? It'd be ridiculous. And, but if you look at the Minister of Indigenous Affairs or Ilnu Affairs in Nova Scotia, do you know who that is? It's the Premier. So he's also the Premier, 
but also the Minister of Indian Affairs. And so one point I wanted to make is, does he, who brings those issues to him? And why is my salary paying him probably for two salaries to effectively sit on issues? And that's what happened for the past 20 years. And I believe this is a great segue into what transpired last year, what happened in Sonyaville and around the fishing rights and modern treaties. His former, the former premier was also in that same capacity. And look what happened when you don't have indigenous people in that role advocating and pushing the premier to make adjustments or yeah i mean you know i'm very passionate about this that's why even our committee is made up the way it is you know 50 50 genders and then there's representation as much as possible across the board you know but that's what happens like that issue sat there for 20 years after the marshall decision and then there was no pressure from the provincial government to address it even though it came from the supreme court of canada these rights are law and no governing body can dictate that these are, you can't do one or the other, they're law. And we have every right to be, to make a moderate livelihood and my, then my, you know, on this land. And what if I'm, you know, I want, I'm trying to make a moderate livelihood, but I'm still taxed. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where does the line draw? I'm trying, I'm trying to make it away here. And like, and that's what those barriers they presented because in the Indian Act, um, the enfranchisement policy in there. So if you've got an education, you lost your Indian status. Which is like right. mind blowing because it's what's the, the whole point of getting it is to further represent your own community and push your own community's agenda so that the premier isn't doing it. Yeah, and if you joined the military back in that time, you lost your status. Or if you were appointed to be a judge or any position that had stature, so working for the government or, or you're a teacher or a medical doctor, you lost your status because those professions were deemed civilized. An indigenous person can't be in those roles, so then you lose your status. And then even having the right to vote was, if you wanted to vote, you had to sign away your status. And that's why, you know, there's a a large population of our community's employment was in fisheries and timber because you didn't need to get an education for it. And it's that's something you can get passed down along, how to fish, how to sustainably fish. Mm where to fish, when to. But even that's them. something that's so abused. I, I, I know so many farm, people who don't have fishing. licenses and they just go and, no, they just go and they just fish because they don't care about the land. They don't care about the rights I act, to fish. I, did, I was walking around my neighborhood and there's a big lake there and I saw a non-Indigenous person fishing. So I walked by, I was like, excuse me, sir. I was like, do you have a fishing license? And they said no. Proudly too. People yeah, don't even no. care. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, thank you. And that's, not fair where no. where's the where's the uh rcm where's the non-indigenous fishermen getting after them it's because of the it was a small volume that's how they back it up well it's not a large volume like the indigenous fishermen are we're not yeah. we, we we only make up five percent of the population so we're not mass we're not commercial fishermen and to say so compared to what what's i don't know what to make of a non-indigenous population is by i know it's well off more than five percent Mm-hmm. Um, and they commercial fish. And if you look at John Cabot's, when they came off the coast of uh, Newfoundland and they dumped their buckets in and they could pull it out full of cod, mm-hmm. they're like, wow, there's money to be made here. Yeah, Let's that heritage now. commercial that we've all seen growing up. All of this is the end result of the government's fixation on making money. Mm-hmm. They took our land, they put these policy in place 
because in our rights and our treaty rights, you know, what makes us indigenous is our culture and our language and we practice them. So in the government's mind, if we take those two things away, they're no longer by the legal term, legally on paper, we're not indigenous. So it completely um, undermines our society and our traditions because, you know, in my belief, you know, Canada is only 150 years old and some change. And so that's far enough to me to go back and ask my, if I could ask my great, great grandmother, give that context. So, mm. you know, with, and, and if you look at the history of societies in certain empires and states, their reign is usually 250 years. And so we're going to see, uh, we may see not in my lifetime, but there are going to be significant changes because this is what happens. Empires rise and fall states rise and fall and there's it's, it's ever ending and it's all about money and resources and you know what you know with the with land claims coming through and having more legal protection to be at that table so when we have a company like Irving that wants to come in like no sorry you can't purchase this land to cut clear cut or to put fracking here because you're not going to do the environmental assessment and you're not going to hire indigenous people and you're not going to do it in a sustainable way that can allow these resources to come back. And so, no. And I think that's a key thing is with the, from a lot of government officials, officials, you know, lobbying, lobbying should not be allowed in federal and provincial government because, you know, it's that 1% that gets all these tax breaks. They get all these grants. They have keys to the kingdom, but I'm taxed because I'm trying to correct the issue, but Irving pays probably less taxes than I make in a year. And so, and that's just a reality. And it's because they're all buddy, buddy with Ian Rank or Justin Trudeau, because I've said this many a times. And I was like, I'm surprised just as like Justin Trudeau and a lot of those officials, more, their moral compass is so misguided. They're never going to find the path to reconciliation. They can only find the path to another billionaire's plane. And like, that's, that's a clear, lens that's my view my my personal view and as an indigenous person who's i i hope you're wrong you know what i mean as i i i honestly hope i do wrong. too i i think there's the original concept of government and how to have policy in place to ensure everyone is well taken care of and that everyone can have access to affordable housing and that every the, the majority population has adequate health care access to education and, you know, good social programming, but you know what? They want to tax everyone in that poor bracket, and it makes you know. Look at the housing market now; it's out of that thing. It's just all nuts at this point. And but I'm getting off topic. But it all comes down to I don't see myself in any former local, or provincial, or federal government, and that's what needs to change because you can't speak on like I would never be in a role to speak on Africa and Nova Scotian affairs because I'm not qualified. To. No, I'll, and it's I'll not. It's not right to. I'm, I'll never have the amount of education that can I can attest to that. I mean, actually, let me let me correct myself. There are there are times where you need, uh, you know, this is where I think the term ally, you know, yeah. really comes from in this in this space is that you you do need allies that aren't, you know, indigenous to be able to push the agenda because right now, like you've mentioned, you know, the premier is the one representing that yeah. role. So yes, you need allies to step to recognize that they need to step out of the way in a lot yeah. of ways and, and and allow somebody else who 
actually has the knowledge, has the history, is of that, you know, um, background okay. to be able to be the one to step up. And that's, that's where I think the transition has to be made because, you know, like you mentioned with black people, for instance, um, there, there is a lot of black history that white people need to learn. And I really commend people like Megan for going above and beyond to learn so much and be the pillar of the word ally, you know, to, to, to black people and to fight for them and to, you know, stand beside them in, in protest to, to, to advocate for them amongst their white peers. Like it's so important that both are happening and not just black people are advocating for black people's change or, and, you know, indigenous people are only advocating for indigenous people's change. Like it, it, it does have to be, you know, coming from both angles. Because I believe, you know, non-Indigenous people or non, you know, African Nova Scotia or non-Black people, white people are more receptive to learning from a, their own person. And if they can see someone change, they're like, you know what, this is wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we need to challenge, like, I'm, I always push Indigenous people to do better because I want them to. And I stay, that's my focus on my, my life right now is just focused on helping indigenous people and i don't have time to help other issues because someone was like oh my god you hear what happened in you know where is it you know the middle east or something i'm like no and they're trying to talk to me about it i'm like what are you going to do they're like well there's a war going on over there it's like well go fight then go join the military do something and not just talk about it because yeah. if you're not like what are your actions are you going to go fundraise and send money there are you going to open your house up to refugees what are you going to do and this brings it's a, such a good point it's me and my friend were talking about feeling bad i can't remember who it was i was talking it's just yesterday you know i'm tired of people bringing up things like that because they quote unquote feel bad and they feel guilty and they feel but then they just they they vent about it for five or ten minutes and then nothing happens the next day you see them you know <laughs> back to on social media posting yeah. about the, the latest fashion trends and or whatever. Their or their coffee or their food. Yeah. And that's all it is. It's meant to be, to, it's up. Uh, they use those, they use our pain and our issues to elevate themselves. And I challenge, and I always challenge people when they do that. Cause I'm like, see, you're devaluing this cause by trying to get likes or try to insert yourself in a conversation to see that you're woke. And I hate that term because you're not woke. You're still delusional because you've never seen the things that i've seen as a child you're not you're not coherent you're not here you're not present mm -hmm. you're just in you think you're aware to these issues but you have no idea how big the world is you have no idea how destructive these policies are because you've never spent time in these communities and because yeah. i you know i'd like to know how many indigenous people ian rankin i don't even know his last name because i don't care to know because he's irrelevant to me but how many indigenous people does he talk to on a daily basis? How many chiefs does he talk to? How much teach does he bring him? Like, I want to hear how I can be better. And, but he, he loved all politicians love those photo ops though. And that's what I said, uh, when the RCMP put out a tweet for not Aboriginal uh, indigenous people's history month or awareness month. I don't, I don't know what these, um, every day, every month is indigenous awareness month. Every day is national and indigenous people's day for me. Great. You know, I'm proud. And I'm, you know, I know where I come from and I know I'm meant to be in this world and this part of the world. Mm -hmm. I have, I know that. Fair, fair. Well, I mean, it, it brings me to the point, you know, where we 
first met and we we got to experience it firsthand why it's important we're doing what we're doing you know when we had that zoom call in the fall and you know those 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 trolls because there's no other word for them you know jumped on and they you know they called Rico the n-word and they, you know they played the Auschwitz you know music they called me a monkey you know for anybody who doesn't know what happened that's that's what happened we were trying to create a safe space to talk about what was happening with indigenous fishermen and you know what was happening with the province and the rcmp and you know these trolls jumped on our our zoom call and just made a mess of it and you know at one point there's some people who wanted to end the call but that's what they wanted they want. that's then you know i refused to end the call because then they win and and you know i refuse to let anybody stop this progress that we're, we're making together that's but. the thing about racism and hate it evolves as because it evolves as we change policies and make it you know nope this isn't acceptable those views are still there it's still present and mostly non-indigenous people or white people think it's eradicated it's not no and it evolves with us and it's quieter and it's more strategic and it's a living organism and I believe it is. And we have to suffocate it and fill the cracks in our system because that's, yeah. where, that's where it hides in the dark and the deep depths of those cracks within our infrastructure politically. And so... I, 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 I tend to disagree with that um, metaphor you just made because we've been filling the cracks. I think we straight up need to lift the entire pavement and see what's underneath and own it and look at it and say, wow, that is ugly. But that's, it's a direct result of, you know, the government having control of what school curriculum is. And, you know, if you accurately teach, you know, African Nova Scotian history and black history to weigh, you know, this is what the... By, by people who actually lived it, by an African history teacher should be of African descent and indigenous history teacher should be of indigenous descent. Like that's one of the first be, things they need to correct. And it's like, you know, okay, because when I, I can reflect my whole life, every social studies class every history class you touch a little bit on the indigenous population and you're like oh then we go into confederation all these things and all these great yep. things and oh look up prosperous rare like no you just cherry picked all yep. these things because when did, did do you think they ever teach about the eugenics movement out, out west when they're sterilizing indigenous women and women who had mental disabilities and, and that were non that were white women as well like where's that part of the history that's and that it was that coincided that policy was enacted after world war ii that was still continued so after the nazis fell we had nazi ideas and theories in our country that the government doesn't want to acknowledge because they like to put up this facade that this is a great place to live it's for very nice people and no and if you just own it and be like, we have a dark history, every country has a dark history, mm -hmm. they have a dark period, and just accept it. It's through education. And, and that's why I'm leading into, you know, that fisherman issue as well. Mm -hmm. You know, all those fishermen probably don't even know that there's treaties here. Mm -hmm. And that what the Marshall decision is and because you know what, they shouldn't have been attacking our our women and our community members who were protesting there's elders there as well attacking them verbally and physically and the police just stood there and you know what their who their quarrel should be with is the dfo why aren't okay. they talking to them their governing body why aren't they talking to their politician who comes to them for votes but no they directed their hate towards us because it's easy to 
And it's because we are probably, you know, because we're the ones that think we want they in the, you know, not non-Indigenous lands, you know, it's like, oh, look at these Indigenous people think they have all the land, they're entitled to this. Or, we're not entitled. You can't own land, number one. Hmm. Who, who says you get to own land? It's meant for everyone. It's a gift. You can't own gifts. It's that miseducation, and it's going to continue until we can, until Indigenous people get say in curriculum, and that we can have the option for a lot of Mi'kmaq students in this region to take Mi'kmaq taught by Mi'kmaq speakers in school and not have to go to French or not have to, you know, learn a history. You know, you they teach you know European history well, they teach Canadian history well. But only certain portions of it. Yeah, only the the quote unquote positive history that they want. It's not the everything that happened because if they did teach Canadian history, you know, these residential schools is something that we should be learning about in in, in our history, quote unquote. And, and you know what? Because then you know what? If you learn about these policies, you can see them still being present today because we're still fighting that model that the residential schools were founded on because we only make up 5% of the population at this time. But if you look at the data, because people want to look at data now, and I'll bring some data here, but every one in two children in the social foster care system or social services is indigenous. So if you can tell me how that number works, we're 5% of the population, but half the kids in the system are indigenous. That's mind-blowing. And if you look at correctional facilities, you know, 35%, 40%, especially women corrections is indigenous women. Same with men. How does that, what is, and you, know, you can't say it's because, you know, we're alcoholics or we're drug addicts because I've seen plenty, when I was in university, I've seen plenty of, Caucasian. You know, uh, yeah, Caucasian people way beyond past the limit of intoxication. It's but you their, know what it's, happens? It's, it's like popular culture yeah. for them. You know, the cops give them a ride home, whereas I would go to the drunk tank. Where's that? Where, where's that, you know? Where's that? Because like I, if I go to me any and Megan talked about that in our podcast, honestly, you know, when I first moved to Nova Scotia, you know, Lower Sackville, I was, you know, unfortunately with these group of bad kids, and you know, they they were pickpocketing at needs. They were they were shoplifting, and you know, they pressured me to do it, and you know, I did it with them, and then out of nowhere, this this guy comes and and you know starts calling the police on me and instead of just dry you know saying oh it's a slap on the wrist you know like all the other caucasian kids what i'd heard gotten caught before but it was just a slap on the wrist for them it was no i got driven home in a cop car and shamed and 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 my 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 mom had to see me pull up in a cop car over a shoplifting incident that was literally told to do by the three kids who ran away and weren't caught yeah but now it's a black kid. Oh, he, he this isn't his first time. They've got to make oh, an example of him. Probably a threat. He's probably dangerous. He's probably angry at the establishment as a police officer. And like I have around policing, I've had plenty of positive and great experiences with police because I got to know them and they got to know me. But then there was also times I've been profiled by officers who don't know me. And then mm. I got to talk to them. I shared that with the officers I knew. And they're like, we're going to talk to him. And then mm. he came, they had it, they brought him back and apologized to me because I've seen, I was walking down the street one time in proximity to my community, lots of other people on that street, but they chose pulled up next to me as a 16 year old. Can we see your ID? Where are you going? Where are you coming from? And I'm like, I'm walking home. Yeah. And then I, you know, and though that stuff is like, cause I've seen, there's a lot of other, I've seen very other shady non-indigenous people around here. How come you're stopping them? I'm a kid in high school. 
Especially when you talk about land, it's like, well, I'm on the land. I'm supposed to I'm trying to get to my land where I feel safe, (laughs) dude. Like that's what I'm trying to get. But you know, these are, you know, and especially what happened in Ontario and they laid terror charges against that man who was racially charged and hurt those people and hurt that family and took lives. Those terror charges should be laid against those fishermen here because you set the standard now, Canada. And if that is an act of terror, what do you call burning down uh, Mi'kmaq owned fisheries? What do you call destroying Mi'kmaq property? Intimidation and terror. So Brady, you know, what, what is the best way for us to peacefully coexist all these different cultures, all these different, you know, histories? Um, how do we peacefully coexist? Well, I think it's first and foremost, we need to, because like I have this conversation and especially with a lot of people and they're like, we need to indigenize this program. I'm like, no, because that's saying one view is better than the other. No one's view. We got to come together and share our views, share our concepts, because if you look at it, at the foundation of it, it's just be a good person. You know, don't lie. Don't steal. Raise good kids treat others the way you want to be treated like just all very like straightforward it's just people don't do it no and they uh, believe people are so trapped in their view and you know i push myself to learn different concepts and especially along with my under when i was doing my undergrad you know i took uh, world history i took African i think that's history. important what you just said there you know learning other people's I views took, like, and cultures is so massive because how can you ever understand somebody if you don't know what they've gone through you know what where what they eat how they work how they pray what, what god they believe in like you know if you don't understand if you don't know any of that you definitely can't understand why somebody's doing what they're doing just especially when you're just work, working with kids man let them be kids but when they get to the point where it's time to learn these concepts, you can't hold back because then they're better equipped to have relationships with Indigenous people or with people who are newcomers mm. and to not have that lens of like, you're bad. And then, you know, there's a lot. It's a, it's a lot to unpack. And if we just want the opportunity to share our stories and to you know, help elevate our own people at the same time, and I want anyone in this country to prosper. Everyone has the right to prosper. And I'm just here fighting for my people because you know what? We're just so underrepresented and I just want our voices to be heard and to be taken seriously because these issues today are serious. You know, we have communities that don't have access to clean drinking water. We don't somehow have access to adequate shelter, and that's an obligation of the federal government on the system they created. They put and, then, and, the- and then what about as individuals though? Like, like, what, what would you challenge me even to do? You know, I'm, I'm well, like, exactly, like, especially for you, Marvin, like, I'd be like, you know, when I propose, you know, have those conversations with people, you know, ask, be like, do you know about the residential school system? Do you know anyone that went to them? Do you know any Indigenous people? Maybe take the time, you know, challenge people to learn, challenge people to seek people like myself, or there's the Mi'kmaq Friendship Center in the metro area. You can walk in and be like, uh, I'm a non-Indigenous person, but is there any opportunity for me to learn or I can volunteer here to work with some youth? I know, mm-hmm. or do you take donations to help fund programs? Do you need someone to, can I volunteer my time to help develop programs? And especially I work in this, but then we can have a, I can provide a template and you can provide the Indigenous lens. That's all it takes. 
Definitely. And, and I mean, I am in the middle of, like I told you, the University of Alberta course on Indigenous Canada, you know, and I'm on week three going on week four. And it's been very enlightening, you know, and, and I encourage everybody who's listening to go take that course. It's free. You know, I'm paid for the $60 certificate, but you have no excuses, you know, that you don't have the money, you don't have the time. If it's important to you to actually see change, then you need to be involved in that change. And that course is one very simple, free way of learning before you engage with people in the new digital community about how you can further support. And especially when it comes around to buying like orange shirts, mm-hmm. only buy them if they're coming from Indigenous people or Indigenous owned companies, because those proceeds go to help our communities. And like, if you want to support, go. I would like, I, I travel out of my way to go get gas and something in Indigenous communities because I refused to let Irving take my money and the government to take my money. And that's because I want to keep my money in community. Like I order my coffee online from an indigenous company. Um, what company? It's called Birch Bark uh, Coffee Company. Birch and Bark? Yep. Yeah. And, okay. you know, they in that a lot of their proceeds go to help communities access clean drinking water. And it's indigenous owned and managed. And, you know, look that's into it. Awesome. We'll have to add that. We'll almost have to start like a new page for companies that can be supported um, on our community page because right now it's just resources. But I think it's good also to put companies and things that we can support and buy from. And also, there are non Indigenous companies like there's the My Home Apparel reached out to me and was like, Is there anything we can share? Any resources you have that we can share and that's accurate? And I was like, Of course. Thank you for reaching out. And then I asked them, I was like, what is your company's mandate? And then they shared information. And I was like, as long as you abide by this mandate and what you want to do and preserve and amplifying voices around homelessness, which is a big indigenous issue and all those things encompass that in that region, you know, I'll share resources with you because you have a platform and you have a base and that you can share. These are accurate resources from indigenous people. And I, I will support that no matter what, if a company wants to reach out or they, like I always, I do this, I'll do it for free. If you need help, I will help you. And it's in my nature. But it shouldn't be for free if you have the resources to pay. Like for the, from the person reaching out to you though. I mean, not, not. Oh, not, it's not. Like, oh, Nova Scotia government asked me for help on something. Oh, I got a, I got a consultancy for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or I'll ask for, but that, then that requires, you know what? Policies need to have a, on your area in place, you know, because then, you know what, if you give it on your area, it doesn't have to be taxed support and if there's a local organization or local companies especially i i would rather spend money locally uh in community or support local businesses than i would ever like big change and i'm trying you know you know i'm cost like just based on budgetary i pick and choose my battles like i get my beef from you know small butcher shops that come from local farms that i know it's not it's like not raised with like hormones and grain and, and traps because I personally animals, go to Olton's farm because animals are living things too, and they get to be in their own natural environment, just as we are, are privileged to. And we are the only animals just because we think we're aware of, we're cerebrally advanced, but we're still biologically just yeah. blood organs and things like that. And we're the only animal or mammal that uh, will be sedentary or stop, stop learning, stop moving. And because if you look at animals biologically, like sharks, 
you know, they can't, fish can't, like sharks can't stop swimming because if they stop moving forward and moving forward through their life, they die. And that's what, as humans, we need to continue to move forward and move forward together. Great well, analogy. And like, that's what I believe in. It's like, you know, we're meant to move. We're meant to evolve and evolve on concepts. And, you know, if you look at the age of enlightenment or this, and look in like this past decade, the amount of technology, the innovation, if we can innovate technology, we can innovate government, we can innovate education. You know, the templates there, and we want to do the work, you just got to give us the opportunity to do so. And that's all I ask for. I'm not asking for the whole, I'm not asking to give all this land back because you know what? I respect that people made their way here and they earned a new life and they, the things they have in their life are their things. And I'm never going to take away from someone else's hard work. Um, but you know, those big corporations and things, that's a whole nother mess. Those are the ones that I think should be held accountable because they're profiting the most off our traditional land and they're doing it in a negative way and they're not being respectful and especially our voices isn't heard because you look what happened now with that pipeline you know if we if you would have just listened to us in the first place Albertans and not yeah. build it now you wouldn't taxpayers wouldn't be on the hook for billions of dollars very true very true so one one thing I was going to ask you too, you know, because I think it's important that we all continue to learn, like you mentioned, um, and also leaving your community to help your community. That's something that we talked about is really important, right? You know, people go on trips all the time. They go down south to Cancun. They go to, you know, their cottage every weekend. They go to, um, you know, Peggy's Cove because it's it's the cool place to go to and it's a great photo op. But what are some out of the norm places that people can go and, you know, check out um, some of the, these communities, like, is there access that we can go to a Mi'kmaq community and, and engage with them and buy their products and support mm -hmm. their markets? I don't, uh, people believe that we have gates and like, there's no gate or barrier to come to our communities. Like you can drive up to Millbrook. They're right off the highway. You can eat there. They have a cultural shop there. You can buy some beadwork and traditional art. So I'm going to ask you to name five places that you would recommend. Well, first and foremost, go to the Mi'kmaq Friendship Center. Um, and where is that located? It's in, uh, I think it's on Gottingen, downtown Halifax. Okay. Um, there's that. You can go to Millbrook First Nation, which is one of the you know, it is economically present in the city of Truro and it's off the main highway and they have a heritage center there where they have art, they have information, they have a lot of traditional knowledge there. Um, and also do some research because there's wherever you are in the province, you are in proximity to a indigenous territory and, you know, reach out to them. Be like, I know it's during COVID, but is there any mailing list you have or is there a newsletter I can sign up for to get information when you have you know, Maui-Omis or powwows. And so I can come and support local merchants or people travel from around North America to come during powwow season. Mm, and they come I mean, and sell things and that's their living. And you get to immerse yourself and just sit and watch our dancers, watch our youth who... That's what I was getting at too. Like, what are some cultural things? Like, you know, Africville has the the picnic every year, for instance. Yeah. Um, is there something like that that you got that you would recommend for any sort of celebrations? Well, well right now, powwow season kind of got cut during COVID. Of course. Um, but, you know, when things get back to normal, you know, start following, 
know, you it just you follow like people follow friggin' companies, follow a chief in your area because they put out all that information and they look for volunteers. Or when NAG comes back, we need three thousand volunteers to pull off that event. And that's a perfect opportunity because your work, you get to be around Indigenous culture for a week, get to promote and support Indigenous athletes. Yeah, it's one thing that I was looking forward to actually volunteering for. I'm kind of, I hope it, because you know what, that's another thing. That event is federally funded. And, you know, if they're all for supporting all these Indigenous issues now, they got to put back that money back because kids work four years to have that opportunity to be on this national stage. And I'd be... I'd be repressed if they ever canceled it. I'm going to fight tooth and nail that it'll be, it'll be funded and I'm going to work. I'll, I'm, I'm planning if I, if it does come back, I'm, I have the opportunity to continue the work I've done with them and to ensure, you know, the athletes are safe and they can culturally practice what they need to. And they have access to mental health supports during that time, because as athletes, you know, yeah, you know, being a real former athlete, you played soccer and things like that. Well, not just former, man. I, I'm current. <laughs> Don't write me off yet. <laughs> All right. But you know what I mean? Like, you got to make some sacrifices and you got to, you know, it's hard. It's not about easy life and especially yeah. being a competitive one. And so, you know, that's why I always support athletes. I help recruit athletes for St. Mary's University, Indigenous athletes. I make sure they get their funding, help them find jobs because I know I've been through it. I know. And I, you know what, when I was at Acadia University, I, I felt like I was the only Indigenous person there. And it makes you feel so small. Yeah. And it makes you feel so, like, alone in this world. And I just missed my family and my community. And, like, um, but I needed that. I needed that to be strong because I know. You have to be I've, able to be independent. If I can do it, and you know, if I can do it, and, and someone sees that, they can be like, I can do it. And if they ask me, I'm like, it's going to be hard. It's going to suck, but you know what? The investment in four years' time, you will not recognize yourself. And I, I will tell that to anyone, and I encourage anyone, if whenever they have an opportunity to leave community, please do so, because it will evolve you for the better, and it will teach you to be independent. And the one reason why I, try, I push myself so hard is because I don't want to be dependent on the federal government, because I know they don't have my best interests. And, you know, I want to have my, I want to do things where I have control over those variables. I control what I learn. I control my language. I practice my language every day to preserve it. So when I am in a place where I can pass on that knowledge to other youth or my own children, when I choose to have them, I'm ready to do that because they will know who they are. They'll know their heritage and they'll be proud of it. Well said. And, you know, the, the last thing I want to talk about um, is, is, is just that, you know, knowing their language, because Canada's got some interesting policies about language, you know, like one of them, um, you can't be multilingual unless you know English and French, you know, yeah. like moving here, both, both my parents knew more than two languages. They, they knew three, four languages and now, now five, now that they both had to get French because they both work for government. Um, but is there any sort of similar practices like that, that you've seen with indigenous, um, well, relations? Well, for Aboriginal affairs in New Brunswick, you have to be bilingual to work for Aboriginal affairs in New Brunswick, which makes no sense to me. You have to be um, French and English to teach indigenous to work to, to, uh, to, to help the government work on indigenous affairs. And it's just mind blowing. And those of those roles are appointed and those are filled with non-indigenous people. 
And that's why our communities are such disarray because they don't know how to have that relationship with our communities or how to speak with our chiefs. And they, when you do, whenever they do have those conversations, it's always the government talking down and it's not, it should be equal. And we, cause we, we need to work together because until that relationship is mended, our communities are going to suffer and we won't be able to be on a path to self-governance and self-sustainability. Um, and I think that should be the goal of every First Nation community is to be self-sustaining. And you know what, then we don't give, you know, the majority population of Canada say we're a burden on the federal system. We're wasting taxpayer dollars on Indigenous services. No, these are in place because you set up a policy and this is what it did. You went in and took children out of the home and told parents, oh, we're going to teach them. We're going to, you know, we're going to make them better. And you're not doing a good job, so we'll educate them. And so what you just did there, you made the parent feel like they failed and that they're a bad parent. And then you take this child, strip them of their culture, their language, their spirit, and their entire identity. And then you put them back in the community when they can't speak their language and they're a different person. They look different. They sound different. Mm -hmm. And now their parents don't recognize them. Their family doesn't recognize them. And then that's why the depression is so high and the mental health is so high. And then that's why our people, you know, use substances and alcohol to fill that void. Because if you, you know, it releases the same it's chemical as dopamine, which makes you feel good. And, but we weren't getting that because we were out a large generation of indigenous students that came through that system and they're not students, they're prisoners. They went through that. They lost self-worth and they lost belonging. And then that passed on to their kids because they didn't know how to be kids. Cause if you watch, there's a lot of powerful documentaries, but if you watch the one we are, it's called, we were children. There's a scene where there's a young indigenous girl scrubbing her skin and her hands with a, a rag or like a, a SOS pad type grill and like, no, this color's bad. Like you're not, you're too dark. You know, having being called said you beat for speaking your language and that the not civilized and, and it just, that, that's the intergenerational trauma is real and it's present because, you know, my father, um, it took me a long time to come to terms. I thought he was just, you know, selfish and all these things. And some of it he is, but also he never learned how to be an indigenous man because when it's, I was a child, I was learning my language and I thought he was, when I was in grade four or five, I was coming home working on my days of the week in holistic way. And he's like, how do you say that? What does that mean? And I thought he was joking or I thought he was like trying to help me with my homework. He was trying to learn it. Mm. And, and, that's, and that's a sad reality when a grown man has to ask his young son, what does that word mean? I want to know that because he even told me stories. When it's I so true, man. And not to cut you off, but like it's just hearing you. There's so many parallels between the intergenerational disparity, you know, with Indigenous people and Black people. You know, like um, as somebody who was born in Kenya but you know moved to Canada at a young age, you know, me and 
me and my own father had all kinds of quarrels because he's telling me, you know, why aren't you doing things? This, this is our culture. And I'm like, I'm in Canada. I want to like, go play I'm, with my friends. I that's do the thing. I'm, I'm trying to fit in and, 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 you know, um, what's, what's the word to assimilate to, to Canadian culture. Right. And at the same time, you know, that's what the school is demanding of me. That's what society is demanding of me. But your own parent is saying you're you at know, home and you're like, you're at yeah, home. I'm- this is your culture. This is the way you should do things. This is how we do things where we're from. And I'm like, and there's this identity crisis. You're split. You're like, I want to honor my mom and dad's heritage and their culture and the way they're doing things. But I'm in a completely different continent, different country, different province, and they grew up with completely different practices. And I'm being expected to meet both demands. And that's what people don't understand is you end up being torn between this is what everyone else is doing and and that fear that you're not conforming and you're not assimilating so therefore you're different and you're 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 weird you're you're not normal those words are said a lot you know you're you're and then they also expect you to like be happy be be smiling every day and they wonder why you you are how can you be happy exactly if you don't feel like you fit in at home or you don't fit in at school where do you fit in and like and that's the one thing i love because when i arrived i left one university that i didn't fit in at but then i went to another that allowed me to learn my history supported me on these and supported me as an indigenous athlete i didn't have to sit there and pray i wasn't bombarded with religion and i was allowed to come freely and not have to sit there bow my head hold my like hold hands and recite a prayer I was allowed to just walk away take my gear off and see my family and that that's why I returned to St. Mary's University that's why I helped recruit athletes there because I know that environment and I know because they were welcoming they're inviting they were supportive and they cared and they showed it through their policies and their practices exactly and that is a great way to close because honestly that is why I am proud to work for the Halifax Wanderers. You know, this is a business that's in the sport industry, but we know that we don't just, you know, like that Fox reporter who told LeBron to shut up and dribble. No, sports are bigger than sport now. We are a huge representation of the community. When you go to a Wanderers games, you see how many various ethnicities, genders, ages come to support the wanderers and we embody that you know our our mission is to bring the community together through sport and i'm so proud of my coworkers and so thankful of derek for giving me the opportunity to have these conversations and to share the knowledge that i am able to learn through these tough sometimes awkward conversations and I can't thank you enough, Brady, for joining me in another one of these conversations that I've learned so much. Um, You know, I think a lot of people sometimes think that this is for the viewers, but it's also for me. I found this very therapeutic, very insightful and eye opening. And I I really can't thank you enough, Brady. Well, it's it's always great to, you know, that's the one thing I like. I always love speaking, but also like you know, you know, kind of these concepts that I'm feeling, especially like, so uh, like, because when I do talk to some non-Indigenous people who aren't educated, they're like, oh, I didn't know that, or I don't understand. And because it's hard to articulate that feeling, but then you, when we talk, you're like, I get it being profiled, you know, not seeing yourself, being torn between fitting in at home and fitting in in society. And 
and like in and always judging doubt doubting yourself where do i fit into this world and you know what i what i learned and if i can as the last thing i want to say is if you're an indigenous person you fit in here that you have every right to fit in here and you know why because our language and our heritage was established here way before contact and you know what it's gonna be here and i think people need to realize that we're not going anywhere because we're still fighting and if anything what's been happening and what has happened to us just goes to show we have a will of iron and we are warriors and we will continue to fight amen amen brady so i really can't thank you enough again for joining today and i am really 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 looking forward to continue working together for change me as well thank you marvin so much for leewin and uh, up to camille i'll see you again my friend